this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. Today I'm here with Ross Berman. Thanks for being here, Ross. Thanks for having me, Dave. Always fun. Yeah, so it should be a good conversation. And we're going to pick up on a topic that you posted about on LinkedIn, and we're going to try to weave our way through it and dig into it a little bit further. Um, and it's about separating business strategy and IT strategy and why that's important. Mike. Getting the gist of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Specifically when you're building software for your business. Okay. Um, before we do that, would you mind telling these fine people who you are and what you do to live, drive, and survive every day? <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, I'm Ross. I am an Agile coach. Uh, I don't know. I have my seven-year chip now. Um, but... <laughs> I've uh, been doing this for a little while. Uh, Dave and I used to work together, and now we don't, but we still text every once in a while, which is fun. And um, yeah. we, I'm an agile coach with Notion Consulting Group, which acquired Matrix. I can't remember what my LinkedIn still says, but it's the same place. And I've been there for um, a little over a year supporting uh, Wells Fargo's Wealth Investment Management Division, which has been a lot of fun. And I've been sitting on the business side, not the technology side. So um, been helping people learn how to write epics, features, stories, OKRs, um, psychologically handle a transformation of such a large place that is inevitably slow due to how large okay. it is. So I think those are like my four main uh, contributions <laughs> so far. And for those of you who are listening to this audio-only podcast, one of the things you're missing out on right now is the contraption that Ross has strapped to his head, which is a light-up headset that is really fantastic and looks like it weighs about 50 pounds. Yeah, it feels like it. It feels like it. <laughs> I stole it off my uh, stepson's gaming desk. So I don't know how he does it. It's like his body weight. Thank him for, for, his, for the use of the equipment. Um, okay, so you're talking about this particular topic in relationship to the development of software. I kind of was hoping we could start out with one of the things that has bugged me for a long time. And I don't even know, maybe it's not a thing anymore, but I started to feel like IT and a lot of companies thought that the rest of the company existed for the benefit of IT. And they kind of lost sight of the fact that IT is basically a janitorial function within most companies. Like it's supposed to keep the machines running, replace the laptops every once in a while, get the printers to work when they get jammed up. And then do all the back-end stuff to keep the company alive and, and working. But at a company that's driven by technology, that's going to that's be tilted a little bit in the opposite direction, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't remember who said it. Um, and I don't think it was just one person. But I've, I heard this thing years ago, and it's data is the lifeblood of an organization. It might have been Zachman who said it I can't, in class. I can't remember. But somebody said that. Um, and I think that that's why there is a power shift, um, in a lot of companies from the IT department being more, um, in control than it used to be like the CEO and then the, the CFO, um, and then IT was kind of like part of the CFO in most companies. Um, okay. and, and as it's evolved, I think, um, that CFO CIO relationship dynamic and power has kind of shifted to where the CIO controls the data that helps the financial folks do the finances as opposed to um, the financial folks who set the budgets and kind of manage the beans and bullets uh, aspect of the company's ability to operate, um, kind of having more of that power play than, than 
the CIO. So um, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. So they get to be sort of at least mentally in charge because they control the data, which is the most important thing to the survival of the company. Yeah, it's um, it's not even it's also the future of the company because if you analyze your data properly and have the right ways to look at your data, you can be more predictive of what the market might do and where you might need to put your investments as opposed to like just the knowledge of, of the past. Like you think of um, knowledge management, it was all about documenting what other people did beforehand and how do you keep that knowledge in house and uh, knowledge is so readily available everywhere now that that part of it's not as um, not as important as how you interpret and use that knowledge to try to see out in, in front of you. Okay. So how does an organization cope with that? Like what should they be doing to make that a little more balanced? Um, I, th- I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's a bad thing. But how do we fix it? Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, you know, I'm not like super uh, into all the frameworks and stuff um, from like a belief structure. But I think one, one thing I think is super important um, for any organization is a cross-functional approach to the work that you do. You know, so um, your executive team should be working together. Um, it shouldn't be an adversarial competitive landscape like you should be competing with other companies there shouldn't be a lot of competition inside of the company um and i think that a lot of times um how we incentivize our strategic planning and our strategic plan could cause a lot of infighting um cross-departmental infighting i I think we've probably talked about this a few times uh in the past but you know there there was a place I worked that they had a competition, like the departments were pitted against each other and the departments were functional. So if one department to the left won, all the departments to the right lost and the customer ended up losing because the departments were over indexed and couldn't perform uh, based on whoever won first. Like if marketing won, then sales and, you know, production and project management and all those other people lost. And, and the customers that ultimately lose at that point. So I just did a podcast a few days ago with a, uh, another guy um, with Mike Vistos, and we were talking about a client I'm working with now who has a situation where all the product owners are, are they're all over leverage. Like they all have too much to do and they're all competing for the same people to do the work. And they, I mean, there's way more work than there is people to do it, but management has not set priority for them. So these folks are in a situation where they're basically like, it's like survivor, right? You're all fighting over the same resources, the same people, both technology and other parts of the company as well. Um, Things like that are just going to exacerbate this whole thing, right? Yeah. And that actually is a great lead into the post um, that we were having this conversation about. Good job. Um, so when your when your business strategy or your product roadmap or whatever you're doing to kind of set your north star of the products that you're developing that you're going to sell in the market, um, 
is disjointed across business and IT strategy, where you have two different perspectives of how that should be implemented, you're going to run into this problem because your IT strategy, traditional strategic planning is not about what are your products going to be. It's exactly what you said in the beginning. How do you support the people who build the products and do the work of the business um, with email and shared drives. And I mean, that's what your IT Backups, stuff is, DevOps pipelines and cloud accounts and all that stuff. Um, and the fact that the same pool of talent is doing all of that work to keep the company going and also trying to implement the product roadmap um, where you have like an ROI vein on it. Like you want to invest money to get a return on that investment. You don't want to treat it like it's a cost center. Like um, I, I know a lot of companies have toyed with, they thought about toying with this pool of developers and developers are a cost center. And then we're just going to put a stack of stuff in and we'll see who's available to work on what, whenever they can. Um, wow. And, and like that approach, um, your treat that would assume that all the developers were equally skilled and experienced, right? Yeah, or just you know, They're basically like machine parts. Yeah, or just like you just have this like 50, 50 people, and you know they pick up the first story on the list, and the next person picks up the next one. So it also really uh, could impact your architecture and interconnectivity between different features and functions that you're building. Um, as just one of the thousands of risks that that's probably going to cause, but it's this notion that. We have teams, and they could be teams or pools or whatever, and everybody is reliant on that capacity. And, and it's a it's a bastardization of this fixed capacity mindset where you're trying to um, sequence and prioritize the work against the capacity that you're paying for. And people mm-hmm. misinterpret that thought to be, we're going to fix our capacity at X amount, but we're still going to get all the work done, you know, cause we're just, that's, yeah. we're just going to pay that hundred bucks this month. We're not going to pay 200 bucks, even though we want 200 bucks worth of work um, on the other side. Okay. But they'll still demand it. And, and the, where this creates, I've been seeing a lot more of this lately where it creates an unfair amount of pressure. Like in the example of the place I was talking about, the product owners are the people that are bearing the weight of that. They're the ones staying all night and weekend. They're the ones that are completely stressed out. Um, and at a lot of companies, it's just like pushed down onto people and people for whatever reason are still accepting it. Yeah. Um, middle management. Um, I don't know. It, it seems like it's the seventh circle of hell. I, I don't like, I feel so horrible you're just trapped yeah. in business purgatory. You know, I've been explaining it. So we have like this leveling system at my current engagement and the pressure. You have to explain what leveling is. Uh, before so you like there's an epic it. team and a feature team and, and story team. So there's like these three levels of the organization um, on how they plan and break down oh. work. And um, I was thinking it was something else. Oh. Go ahead. And um what, what I feel like they're going through, I'm just a coach, so I don't experience it with them, but what I feel like they're going through is there's so much pressure from the top to get the book of work done, whatever that book of work is, that it flattens out those three levels to the point where everybody is just worried about, is what we're doing right now going to finish on time? 
and nobody's thinking about what are we doing in six months? What are you doing in nine months? You know, like everybody's like, what's going on this quarter or this month or this sprint or whatever. And, um, every meeting turns into an operational meeting, not a planning meeting, um, without like severe discipline and somebody who will, like we're in this meeting to talk about the future and not what's going on right now because there's so much whip and um, everybody is like always working on like one thing and there's, you know, 400 people in the organization. So you got 400 like things in flight and um, it's just a, it's a nightmare, but a, a lot of it is attributed to how we do resource planning um, and what we believe IT strategy is versus what we believe business strategy is. Okay. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So we're giving. So, um, okay. So if we have a door factory, so in my Epic class, I teach this door concept where I call it a wall gap closure. Um, that's what I call the company. And so there's a house, it's an ugly house because I drew it and I suck at drawing and there's a big hole in the side of it. And um, I'm like, look, there's a, you know, there's some problems that our customers are feeling here. You know, you can be watching Survivor and eating a bowl of popcorn and suddenly some stranger's hand comes over your back from behind the couch and grabs popcorn out because there's a big hole in the wall that you can't see here. You know, if it's cold outside, it's cold inside, you know, there's a big hole in the wall. Raining outside, raining inside. Exactly. And so this is a real problem. And um, we have to figure out how we're going to close it. And everybody, you know, for the most part, figures out the same thing. We need hinges. We need a doorknob. We need locks. We, right. You know, is there a frame? You know, everybody always says frame. And I'm like, well, that's an assumption. You don't know if there's a door frame there or not. Like, we should talk about that assumption. Maybe do some market research, whatever. Okay. Is it a standard door size? Like, all that stuff about describing what you want. Um but nobody talks about, do we have the machine to cut wood? Do we have um, a metal um, metallurgy lab that we can create a hinge? And do we have the right pressings and the right sizes of things to do all that? Do we have the tooling involved? And that's really the technology strategy of a company. How are we going to process the materials we need? The How are we going to do the take the inputs and make the outputs. What are our tools? Like your laptop, yeah. your email server, your shared drives, like all that stuff. That is your IT strategy because that is the cost center that's going to support the people who implement the business strategy. The door is the business strategy, okay. right? So there are some things about the door that we need to figure out. Like where are we going to get the wood? Where are we going to get the metal? right? Um, are we outsourcing hinges or are we building the hinges ourselves? Like those are strategic decisions that we would make. Once we make those strategic decisions, then we're going to start having like a human resources and a technology strategy, which is how are we going to get the right skills um, that we need on the team to do these things? And what are the things they're going to do? How are they going to operate? Like, do you need to learn Riverside Studio on the fly because your podcast guest is an idiot and can't figure out how to hook up his headset probably i mean as evidence today right so those are one of those things that you have to consider in your in your strategy but the business strategy should already be set and so when we talk about um business strategy where software is our product 
that cost center type IT gets commingled with the actual product development work that we're doing from a software development perspective, where sure. the folks that you have an IT department and like you have these teams, some of them are doing production support for people who work at the company that you're working in and so, in, in one day and maybe the next day they're like writing code for some new product, but we're only accounting for that IT budget once. And we account for that IT budget not based on what our return and investment is going to be on the IT products that we're building, but how much money are we going to invest in a skill set based on our human resources plan in our misconstrued technology strategy, which is the CIO is responsible for delivering product. I mean, the okay. CIO is so, not. Right. Let me, I want to ask some questions about this. So, just fully, purely from the perspective of tracking the burn rate of the team, the team costs me X amount regardless of what kind of work they're doing. Mm-hmm. So you're just trying to figure out what bucket it's going to come from or what bucket we're going to tie it back to. And then I'm, I can't, the part I'm not clear on is are, you, is are you also saying that it would be better if we had two different teams, one to do the back end, even if they're duplicate skills, one to do the product we're going to sell and one to maintain things in-house. Yes. Option B. Okay. But then don't we lose shared understanding and knowledge and a whole bunch of other things that should be benefits by having these people part of one team? But then supporting the product that goes out to market isn't the same as them supporting the email server. So I don't think that it's going to be the same. Like most companies aren't using the software products that they're selling, right? Like maybe Salesforce does, I don't know. Like most kind of like iPod or Apple users, they're not using iOS for everything that they do. They probably have like a Mac. They probably have like some folks on Windows who are testing out like emulators and stuff like that, like all kinds of different stuff. And the IT department Mm -hmm. needs to support those tools. You know, it's so like if you're a mechanic, you have the snap on guy who comes by and he supports the tools that you use. He doesn't help you fix the car. Okay. He just provides the tools and the the things that you need to fix the car. Even the other mechanics fix the cars and he might be a mechanic, but that's not his role when he swings by to sell you the new widget. He, he wants you to buy the, you know, indestructible pliers or whatever. Snap on is cool, by the way. But it, it sounds like almost like that's something we used to have. And when we said we wanted cross-functional teams, that's how we got rid of that. I don't think so. Cross-functional teams to me is more like I have all the people on the team to do the job that they're supposed to do. So if I'm building a website, I need back-end service developers. I need database developers. I need UI developers. And I think when we move towards cross-functional teams, we were trying to separate like having the UI team and the services team and the data team. We were trying to have one team that could do, you know, 360 degrees of the solution. Not we okay. want the dudes who are on our corporate help desk um, also writing product and helping our public-facing customers with new products. We just want them helping us with the email inside of our business or like me, like. Uh, um, for whatever reason, when I turn off my computer, sometimes my Wi-Fi goes away and I don't know what to do each time it happens. So I have to call in. They probably have this thing like, oh, this guy's just an idiot. Just tell him to hold down the power button for 15 seconds. <laughs> but I always forget it. Okay. So, 
Well, th- wouldn't this create like a caste system within an organization where like you're the front end developer, I got to go to the to the, I got to go to the back room with the back end developers that we're not allowed out in the sunlight because we're back end. But that's the thing; it's not you create that cross functional team around the around the responsibilities that they're fulfilling. So you're going to have a cross functional team to deliver the website, and they might also work tier three tickets, right? Um, bugs in their system on the features that they built. What I'm saying is, if you have like your corporate IT help desk. They're not necessarily yeah. going to be your public-facing help desk because their their skills are to support the tools that we use to develop the software. Their skills aren't using okay. the tools that our customers use as the consumers of the product that we build. Sure. But I'm assuming that on some level, it will make sense to have these people at least communicate with one another because if one solves a problem in a way that might benefit the other team, they'd want to know about it too, right? You don't want to like keep them walled apart. I guess. I mean, um, I'm all for keeping people unwalled, I guess, but I don't see how that would ever be like, if I fix an email issue and you're working on an iPhone app, why do you care? (coughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're trying to reduce the distraction from them. Yeah. Let them stay focused on the most important thing. Yeah. And like, there's this like over index on including folks, I think. Like just including folks for the sake of inclusion, not including folks for yeah. the sake of anything like strategic. Um, yeah. And so there's going to be some teams, like even if we're both product teams, but you're building mm-hmm. a product, you're building SharePoint, right? Let's say we work for Microsoft. Yeah. You're building SharePoint, whatever, to 2025 or whatever's coming out next. And I'm building Outlook 2025. Is there an immigration where there maybe there's a you know grab SharePoint link from the Outlook client and vice versa, like email this thing? Sure, but do we need to do I need to know how to do web development to build an Outlook thick client and vice versa to have that integration? No. Like yeah. is it great if we can figure it out and work together? Probably, but I also have forty other features I have to develop, just like you have forty other SharePoint features you have to develop. So having everybody working on every single product, um, even just in the product development space, might not make sense. Would not be beneficial. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's All beneficial right. to the individuals if they want to learn, but that's something that you can help them do you know, yeah. um, as part of their career development, not something that has to happen um, for this, like, uh, you know, this idea of cross-functional, cross-product inclusivity. Okay. Um, so if, if, a, if somebody's listening to this and they recognize the sound of this from their organization, they need to make the change. Like, how do you pitch that change? I have no idea. <laughs> um, I have no idea because this is something that is um, – it's, I mean, it's taught in school. I took a project management course like six years ago, and this tr- yeah. technology triad was part of the business strategy section of project management, where you have a business strategy, you have a techno- technology approach, and you have an HR approach. And it's um, like even in that class, it wasn't clear why there was a technology strategy. It's just like, oh, technology is a thing, and we have to plan for it. It wasn't like um, 
we need to support the people who are building the products, regardless of if they're physical products or technology products. But we should separate uh, the technology product out of the IT strategy because it's not our information technology strategy, it's our product strategy. And um, I think funding it in the same mechanism just because the folks might report to the CIO or the CTO or whoever, um, funding it in a um, OPEX model uh, is probably not the way to do it um, just because that's how you've always funded IT. Okay. I think this problem is probably more prevalent in companies that did something else for a while, and now they're also doing IT um, in a customer-facing way. Okay. How so? Because um, their business isn't selling IT. They use IT to enhance the rest of their business. So like, if you think of a bank, the mobile banking app isn't something they sell. Um, right. They give that to their customers so their customers can access their bank account easier. Um, so it, it does feel a lot like a cost center type application, um, but it okay. may impact a business strategy. Like if like I like USAA because I never have to talk to a human being unless I like want to, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's like me and Hilton. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I love Hilton too. So um, I can use the app to do everything. There's only one branch. It's in San Antonio, Texas. You're not, I mean, like there's got to be something special to get me back to Texas, right? I just, it's like too hot for me. So um, like I'm just like using ATMs. Like I don't even know. Like sometimes you'll find you, like I saw a USAA ATM at a CVS once and I was like, huh. Because like they don't charge me ATM fees, so I don't care if I use their ATM or not. Um, sure. Hold on, for the people that don't know what an ATM is, <laughs> that's the thing you get the paper money out of. You, it spits money yeah. at you, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you don't know okay. what an ATM is, um, you didn't beat me. So this is a really weird. I'm really curious to hear how people respond to this conversation because there's a part of me that totally gets what you're saying, and there's a part of me that thinks. Is still thinking like this is what we had before. Um, I get your reasoning for it. I'm just I'm curious to. What do you mean? It's what we had before. Well, there were like duplications of skills and within the company. Like I've got this department has a bunch of guys that build this thing, and this department has a bunch of guys that build that thing, and it's the same skills when they're building the same type of stuff, and we have internal things that are maybe competing with one another. Yeah, And we had to get rid of that because we had a lot of duplication of skills and knowledge and it was expensive. So they put them all together with the intent of creating one pool of, say, Java guys. Mm -hmm. But now our Java guys are getting pulled off for different things and it's hard for them to continue to develop that expertise when they're constantly being yanked around from one thing to the next. Right, right. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. So Think of what you said, like you have multiple competing applications that do the same thing and have the same type of skill sets, right? That sounds to me like a failure in an M&A. So there was a merger or acquisition or some kind of something like that. And we, you know, okay. now we have, we, we tried to acquire customers through a merger or acquisition, which we did, which was a good business strategy. But since those businesses both have their own IT strategy, we had to figure out how to 
over time get all the users of one system onto the other system that yeah. matches and then collapse. But that's still all IT strategy because that's all the stuff the businesses use to support themselves doing the business. Now imagine we whittled okay. down our Java expertise down to one team because they supported a, a customer relationship management tool that we use um, okay. to acquire customers with, um, you know, at our record store or our DVD, okay. our DVD rental facility. So now we're a track. Yeah, yeah. Our a track store. So now we're going to build a software product um, right. to sell music digitally. Right. We're going to keep our eight track business because there's some vintage collectors out there. Maybe we're going to consolidate that down to one location. Um, yeah, yeah. But we still have a bunch of IT for inventory and tracking and checkouts. But our POS system in store is clunky and old. Um, and we're not going to replace that because there's just going to be one store. But we need to update that to have a good user experience for okay. our customers. Um, although we're not going to sell the software, we're going to use the, sell the, the software to sell the music. So we're going to pull people out of our IT strategy and our support of the POS system to start developing the new application. And then okay. they also have to support the POS system when that has issues because they're responsible. Mm -hmm. So now we're like double billing individuals yeah. that are people that are only accounted for once because we're using a, a traditional IT strategy to develop our go-to-market product. And that's okay. Like if you're just like, is this going to work? Like, let's see, right. you know, but once you start actually having users, you want to get a return on the investment that you're making on that app. Not, okay. um, not the standard cost center, um, expenses that you're going to have to support the internal app for your for your employees, yeah. and so that's that's a shift we don't tend. To, I don't see us making a bunch. Okay, I think where I was coming from was the the period where like my department needs the thing built, and the IT guys are too busy, so I'm going to fund my own development team, and then we end up all, with all these little fiefdoms all over the place, and that was definitely something that needed to be fixed. Mm -hmm. But there was a sacrifice made in the process, and that's what you're talking about trying to resolve. Yeah, and it's just – it's not even like – I don't – like I'm not saying they can't report to the technology folks. Like I think it's great when you have an expert who can help you get better at something that's done it and has institutional mm -hmm. knowledge but also understands the craft as a whole. Like <laughs> I hate being right. responsible for tech people because I was shitty at tech, you know, which is why I got okay. into – whatever it is I do now. Right. So, cause I like, I was slow at coding, like it hardly ever worked. You make, those heads, you make that headset look good. Yeah, exactly. That's what you do, my exactly. friend. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So I was like, oh, I, I, like, I shouldn't be a leader of technology people, but I'm a, I'm a pretty good leader at folks who um, interact with individuals and help them, you know, make a change somewhere, you know? Okay. So like that, skill set I have a little bit and I can help people become better at that and have a right. less of a reaction when people tell them to go F themselves or whatever, which happens to agile coaches a lot. So um, you have to, you have to have that thick skin, right? So there's some, 
uh, ways that you can think about and compartmentalize negative feedback as an agile coach, you know, um, depending on how extreme it is, maybe it's just them fearing change or whatever. But right. so I'm all for that. But I don't think that the way that we account for the funds spent should be the same way that we account for the funds spent on ops and maintenance. And we need to delineate okay. those dollars because some of those dollars, um, if we can spend more on product development, because we're going to get a return on that investment, but we want to cut costs on our operational support as much as we can to keep that operational cost low. So it's really like, how do we, how do we let the business provide us the funding as an IT organization that's dedicated to new product development and the funding that's dedicated to operational support and not have a pool of IT money and have the IT folks figure out how to allocate those funds across. Okay. The, and I'm assuming... I was going to say, let the IT folks figure out the best architecture for the software product. Let the business yeah. and financial folks figure out how to do the accounting. Okay. Okay, well, that makes sense. So... How, so I guess what I'm curious to hear back from people on this is, do they agree with you? And if they're doing it, how are they doing it? Yeah, that'd be exciting. Okay, cool. So what else is going on? Um, so my friend, Teresa Reynolds, has started a company called Culture Bias, which is starting to get off the ground. And um, she is amazing. Uh and what she is trying to do is help companies with this type of problem and also the, the framework zealot type of problem um, where <laughs> um, creating culture on a framework as opposed to um, developing a specific strategy, system, and culture that's going to deliver the way that your company needs to deliver. I think a lot of times... Um, folks come into a place and they're like, if you use this framework, um, you're going to deliver better and maybe a little bit, but a lot of folks think that the framework solves all of their problems. So we're really trying to say with culture bias is there are aspects of your business you need to keep. Like you can't just put in a cookie cutter SDLC that doesn't take into account some compliance or risk or you know, other aspects right. of your business that you have to put in and protect that protects yourself from data loss, data breaches, whatever. And so um, really, instead of trying to just make your whole company follow a cookie cutter framework, it's how do you take one big um, cultural or strategic issue that you're having as a company, um, get the investment of your leadership team, create that cross-functional leadership team that's going to solve okay. that problem intentionally and measure the impact from a cultural perspective on, on if it's making an impact and if you like what you see. Um, okay. A lot of times people think culture is organic. Um, and if your culture is organic, it's actually just a coalescence or com combination of all these like micro competing cultures, um, yeah. depending on specific uh, managers. If your culture is intentional, it is how your company knows to implement your strategy and it enables okay. you to drive that success from a place of like, what are the behaviors and attitudes and, and values that we all share and how does that actually achieve our culture? 
So okay. um, it's, it's very important. It's very good stuff. She's working on an assessment that would help uh, executives um, understand what their culture looks like and where tweaks need to happen. And um, she would have folks working with her um, on the ground with clients to help them through managing those change events as they happen. Okay. Also offers. I mean, it's just, it sounds. Oh, okay. She also, also offers, offers a, a safe, specific training as a tool for learning. So, okay. um, she, you know, lots of uh, safe instructors, if that's what you're into, want to learn about that. But okay. um, the, the goal is to have people from all walks of the agile certification um, mind, mindset and structures kind of working together yeah. to um, help customers learn, but not necessarily uh, believe that the the framework that you learn is uh, a scripture etched in stone, you know, from our father's okay. mouth or whatever. I mean, it, it just sounds with all the stuff you're talking about, like it's the pushes for a much more intentional, mindful approach to the to what's happening. Yeah. It's, it's the belief that there is a solution, not the belief that everyone knows the solution. And I think like um, okay. a lot of consultants tend to believe they know how to fix somebody's problem and, it, and it's from something, right? It's from some book or from some yeah. framework. And this is about like, hey, we know you have problems because every modern business has problems. Um, the way to solve the problem is for the executive team to work together and manage a change. Um, across the organization, stop finger pointing, stop all the blame game and just kind of work together around that change event um, and get yeah. the desired outcome and be able to measure that desired outcome. So it's okay. it's really um, an interesting interesting concept. I, I think it's novel. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that it's focused on the leaders. It's not like, hey, let's go fix one scrum team's velocity for six months and then we'll right. see if we can you know, do it again. It's uh, let's um, really draw a line to stand, pivot the way this company operates. Yeah. And I think that that leadership team is important too. The, the interview that I mentioned earlier with Mike Vizdas, he talked about first team, which if you're a leader, your first responsibility is not to the people that report to you, but to the people at your level, because it takes all of you to produce something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. I don't know where that's from, but Christine mentions first team. It's separately. Patrick Lencio. There you go. Patrick Lencio. Yeah. Um, so if they want to find out more about uh, Terra's company, what's the best way to do it? Yeah. So um, it's on my LinkedIn. I'll send you a link. It's it's Culture Bias. There's a website, but the LinkedIn is easy okay. to find. Um, and right. You can you know check Teresa out uh, on LinkedIn as well. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions, you can ask me since uh, I'm helping out. And they find you on LinkedIn as well. You got it. When you're not doing your TikTok videos. With your <laughs> yeah, I may have to start now after I recover my traps and shoulders <laughs> from keeping my head upright with this thing on. Cool. Well, this was great, man. Thank you for making time. It was fun catching yeah, up. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks.